Welcome back to the present stage, Conversations with Theatre Writers. My name is Dan Rubens, and I'm a theater critic, a composer, and an arts nonprofit leader. And my guest today is Nathan Allen Davis, the playwright of The Refuge Plays, currently running at the Roundabout Theater's Laura Pell's Theater off-Broadway until November 12th. Nathan Allen Davis, welcome to the present stage. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start out by talking about the scope of the Refuge plays. Uh, this is a three and a half hour evening at the theater. Uh, and I wanted to ask you sort of how you came to the decision to construct a play of this magnitude uh, and what makes working on a on a play of or a, a set of pieces of this size different than uh, sort of the, the often 90 minute, no intermission experience that a lot of new plays uh have yeah wonderful question um it's just different in every way um when i wrote the first part of the refuge plays which um is called protect the beautiful place it's the first act of this production uh i hadn't originally planned to write a trilogy so to speak and at the time i was doing the fellowship at the juilliard school for playwriting and I shared the the draft, the main feedback that I got from people was, we want more. And I actually felt like, as I really considered the play, it did seem that a world had unfolded that, that did have the space for more. And so if it seemed like the right step to add to add more to it, you know? And um, so I, I decided to have the second play go back in time and be the same family, the same location, but we get a little bit more of the family story. And then the third play naturally goes back even more. And so for a while, I was relatively certain that no theater would produce a play like that. You know, I mean, um, not that it never happens, but it seemed unlikely. Um, just because of you know it's ten char- it's ten characters it's you know big all these kind of things but it was really my collaborators Patricia McGregor directed the first reading um, a lot of my fellow playwrights that I knew were encouraging me to sort of like no we really love the the big journey of it right and so I just it just happened naturally um, and uh, you know working on a play that large the the biggest difference in terms of the rehearsal process is just that you know whereas you might spend you know a week you know working on any given section of the play you know now that becomes like a day and a half because we have more play to to work work. um so it was really an all hands on deck immersive experience and i think that the team uh, is amazing they really embraced the challenge of it and i think because of the challenge of having to deal with something that large it really brought the best out of all the collaborators including myself um so it was definitely a labor of love um and i think that's reflected in in the production do you think of the three pieces as sort of one inseparable unit now or or when you think about the work do you think of it as as a trilogy that could be staged in individual pieces or in a different order or something like that. That's a, yeah, I think, I do think that there are different possible 
iterations or, or versions, you know, I think that uh, that each play potentially can stand on its own, uh, at least with the understanding that it's part of a larger piece. Um, and I think that like, you know, knowing production limitations and knowing just different capacities of the different, you know, theaters, I don't think it's sort of like an all or nothing, either produce the whole thing in three acts or not at all. I, I do think that there's a world in which, you know, one play could be produced and then maybe another happens next season or maybe, you know, it's done in a rep and, or maybe you just do one, you know what I mean? I, I just think all those things are possible. Uh, I'm really thankful that that roundabout in New York Theater Workshop stepped up in a big way to realize the big version um, because it's it's ambitious and it's it's um you know it, it asks it's, it's sort of like asks both the artist and the audience to take a really big leap um, and that's a really beautiful thing but I think there's a lot of ways that the plays could be experienced and we, at one point we had done um a few years ago we did a workshop production of the first play protect the beautiful place the, the last play chronologically but the first play in sequence as you see it and uh that went really well is seeing that that play on, on its own was actually a, a great experience so i definitely see um see that as a possibility yeah i'm you mentioned sort of the asking the audience to take a leap and i'm curious when an audience is going in to a work knowing that it's going to be a few hours plus of their of their day sort of what you feel like the there's definitely sort of a weight that comes with knowing that you're going to see something kind of monumental at that scale even beyond what the content of the of the play is so i'm curious how you feel like you think about sort of managing audience expectations or being conscious of sort of audience expectations of what it means to like go to a play of this uh duration really and sort of what the Obviously, for the actors, especially the actors who are in all three parts, there's definitely a, a stamina marathon element to it. But I think for an audience to at least going in, there might be some sense of like this is going to be a, some some degree of like marathon experience. So, mm -hmm. how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it is, you know, the audience does I hope know the running time when they go in, so they're not totally surprised by that. Yep. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I think, I think the main thing is trusting the audience's capacity. You know, I think oftentimes, you know, we sometimes I, th I think oftentimes we presume that audiences can't handle or aren't up for a challenge. You know, and I don't assume that. You know, I mean, I think that like there's certainly, um, I think any anything of that length that's an unfamiliar work like people may or may not be fully on board with it. You know, you can't completely control that, but I think what you can do is, um, you know, give them the best possible production you can. And I think that um, the play has a lot of humor in it. Um, I think when I've heard, uh, I've heard a lot of feedback from people that have said, Oh, I can't believe that it, it felt like it went by so fast. Like I could have done more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, like there are some people who probably feel like, oh, my gosh, this is never ending. <laughs> I, I wish I I wish I could leave or, you know, who knows? Like, I, I think any any play that's long is going to have a, a range of, of responses. Um, and certainly like, you know, uh, 
exhaustion is sometimes part of part of the deal as well. But I think the, the plays contain quite a bit of of humor, um, and the intent is not to sort of like you know beat the audience down and drag them through you know an unpleasant experience. Um, the point is to sort of keep them in a state of um, enjoyment, you know, um, throughout, throughout most of the time if possible. And, um, yeah, I think that, um, I think that for people who really respond to the plays, they, they feel really good. I mean, I think the idea is like, okay, like if you are going to be here for three and a half hours, um, you know, you want to feel like it was worth it that you, that you got something out of that. And I think people who, who, um, really love the, the production tend to feel glad, you know, for, for having that long of a time with it. Um, and so that's probably the best that, you know, we can do um, to sort of just give them the best experience possible. Can you talk about um, how the time periods in which each play is set influence the story or stories you're telling the first plays in the present day, and then it goes back to the seventies and then to the fifties Um and all of the plays are set in in this home in the woods in Southern Illinois. And hmm. I feel like my experience of the play was that time and place are sort of intentionally sort of more distant than they would be in other settings, perhaps because this is a family that's built this refuge sort of away from right. the rest of the world. So I'm curious how you thought about sort of weaving, obviously there are references to world events and wars, but sort of weaving time and place into the into the text at the same time that you're sort of isolating your characters from that mm -hmm. yeah well i think the way that you described it is definitely the way that uh it was intended you know um that that we have the sort of refuge this place that's almost a little bit outside of time i mean um you know it's um, is a world that has kind of been created by this by this family and and uh, and so the references we get to the outside world come in small doses, and I think the hope is that you know we're not we're not saying that the outside world doesn't exist and we're not saying that um, that they're not part of the, of the larger world, but the focus is on this particular world that they've kind of created for themselves, uh, and so the hope is I think just to sort of um look at you know these different time periods through a new kind of lens right and so um in the second play you get references to the vietnam war and, you know in the third play you get references to world war ii you have some some sense of you know what's going on but i think also the responses to what's happening um you know i, I think highlight the sameness of, of all these times you talk about a war and there's wars happening now there's wars happening then right um and so a lot of the focus is on um looking at how these particular times that we have associations with um in certain ways have the same heartbeat um Happy that we're living with today and so you know anytime you do a play it's always now no matter when you set that play um the audience is seeing it now and so i think i think um you know we want the audience to to relate to it now and look at then through 
of a certain type of new lens that the play is offering. One of the things that shifts sort of profoundly throughout the play as you move backwards in time is the audience's awareness of who sort of the protagonist of the overall structure of the superstructure of the plays are um, mm. and sort of whose voice matters most and who has access to the audience to sort of direct and dress and soliloquy. Mm -hmm. um, and we first meet the character of early in the first play as a sort of feisty great grandmother figure um, who's often sort of like either coiled up in the corner or like going out to like kill an animal with her bare hands or, or chop <laughs> yeah. wood or, or whatever. Um, and she's clearly not sort of plot wise the centerpiece of the first play. And as the plays go on and on and we move backwards in time, the sort of entire history of the family becomes kind of rewritten in her image in a sense um, as, as, the, as the builder of this refuge really. Um, and I think for, for other characters too, her husband, Crazy Eddie, her son, Walking Man, we get sort of clearer pictures of who they are as we move backward. So I'm, I'm curious how you thought about that intentionally as you wrote, because you, do you wrote the plays in backwards chronological order? Yeah, I wrote them in the same order that we see them. Yeah. So I wrote, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious sort of how you thought about sort of building the audience's attention towards each character especially mm -hmm. early as as the plays go on yeah i mean you know early is the matriarch of the family she's the only character who is in all three plays i guess you could count walking man who's spoiler alert is a baby in the, in the mm -hmm. third play but you know as the actor we don't see the actor um and so the you know i think it's pretty when you, the first play um is certainly in a certain way Gail's play. You know, she's the the one who's dealing with this question about death and how and grappling with her own mortality and and um and yet at the same time, you know, we know that Early is the sort of original founder of the family. Like we, we learned that in the first play. And so in the second play, we learn more about Walking Man's journey and Early is uh, present in a certain way in that in that story. And then we go back and now we sort of see um, early, you know, in the place where the house will be. Um, and um, so I think in a, in, a, in a way there's there's the plot and there's a story, right? You know, the plot of, of what, what's happening right now in front of us. Um, each play can have its own kind of protagonist, right? So in the, in the first act or the first play, we certainly have Gale as the main person. The second play is called Walking Man. And in a lot of ways, Walking Man is the main character of that play. Um, the third play is called Early's House. And that's that's a two-hander. Um, but throughout all of that, Early's story is is sort of the, you know, um, organizing principle of all of it, right? And I think that's something that we learn and understand more about gradually as the as the play progresses. You mentioned the the last play, Early's House, being a two hander, and I think for me the third play was both the funniest and the most sort of harrowing or uh, sort of emotionally challenging in that it sort of brings together Early and and Crazy Eddie mm -hmm. uh, in sort of the wake of trauma, like both of them having experienced really sort of yeah. life transforming traumas um mm -hmm. 
but it's also for much of the play kind of like a comic two-hander mm-hmm. um sort of battling through repartee um yeah. and i'm i'm curious how you came to that structure both in terms of it being a two-person play and also sort of tonally being sort of the lightest um mm-hmm. or most accessible in some ways of mm-hmm. of the three plays and how you like chose that as the space to end in mm. that's a wonderful question um yeah you know the i think the you know the further we go in a way the more bare or raw the play becomes right and so uh to your point we you know we end the evening uh or the afternoon you can see the matinee which is getting into the evening now because it's probably around (laughs) four o'clock or so um with with early and crazy eddie and you know i think the 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 trauma and the darkness that they're sort of navigating through is undeniable it's ever present in a certain way but also you know i think there's a part of the perspective of the play that's recognizing that people deal with these things have the capacity to deal with these things with retaining a sense of their humanity uh, of their humor of their love of life and i think the fact that these characters are able to sort of in their spirits are able to endure, you know, what they've been through and it doesn't entirely define them. Um, and yet it also very much defines their circumstances. Right. Um, and that's a part of the tension of the play. And so, so yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, I think when you're able to just watch two people on stage kind of just coming together, I think it's a very, really, it's a very simple action right um it's it's not hard to get your head around what's happening um and yeah i think because you have an, this knowledge of all the stuff that's come before or i guess comes after in terms of the the chron- chronology of the story but that we've seen um you know we're able to sort of maybe project different things onto what's happening right um but but yeah i mean you know it's the the story uh, really, and I think in a lot of my work, um, you know, I think there's, you know, a play is a reflection of of humanity, right? I mean, we're, we're putting it, holding a mirror up to what it is to be human, right? And I think for me, it's important to recognize that humanity has a lot of, a lot of dimensions to it. Um, and that uh, going through trauma and death and pain and grief um are an important part of that but they're only one aspect of it and so i tend to also want to highlight other parts of the human spirit and human reality you know in in my work and i think that like in earliest house and the third play you know you're seeing people um who are really beautifully alive and uh despite all that's going on they haven't lost their basic sense of themselves. And in a certain way too, the two of them are reminding each other who, who they are, you know, um, and they really need each other in a, in a, in a really visceral way. And yet the way they handle that um, is, as you said, with repartee, with humor. Um, and there's sort of this very delicate dance of like, how close can we get? How much do we trust each other? Um, how much can I open up to you? How much can you open up to me? 
And that's essentially what the the drama of that last play is about. I wanted to ask you about a moment sort of early in the in the evening or or afternoon. Um, in the first play, early praises Haha, who's her great grandson, the youngest of the generations, for reading yeah. Invisible Man. Um, and I'm curious why that book um, was a text that you wanted to to make significant for for the family. Sure. I mean, Invisible Man is a book that sort of. I guess you could say it explodes reality in a certain way. Um, it really brings together so many different ideas about life. And on one level, it's a story of a black man who is, you know, invisible like, to society, right? To the world. Um, and yet through that story and through that metaphor, there's just so much that's pulled into it. And I think that um, in a lot of ways, what the family is attempting to do um, is to sort of claim all these different aspects of humanity, right? And and sort of like make it understood that like you can exist as a black person in the world and have all of these different notes, you know, to your reality, right? Um, and so I think, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I thought about that statement and then wrote, you know, the book in there, but I think that's one of the reasons why I was interested in putting there it, it kind of felt like the right choice and i think um th that that's that's part of what what the book sort of means for me in a certain way um and i and i do think that like there is there is a way that that um you know the family is and, and the play itself is trying to sort of like just pull in um an array of different ideas and themes um not just for the sake of it, but because it sort of like um, is a reminder of how multifaceted we are as people. And I think um, a lot of times in the theater, you know, it's hard. Uh, I, mean, I think anytime you write any story, it's hard uh, to sort of like hold all of the, the nuances of humanity in with the story you're telling because you're gonna go through a very focused specific kind of lens through it, right? Um, and so I think there's always a tension of like, when are you being reductive and when are you being expansive, right? Um, and I think that that may also be a reflection there of like, you know, um, there's a push, there's a there's a push against the idea of like, only one, any one given thing, one given idea defines us in a more into an expansive idea of all of these different things about the world are parts of our being. And to follow up on that, I'm curious to thinking about Invisible Man as sort of a book about the ex that experience of living sort of within the white gaze. There's sort of the sense of this family by, I mean, there's very few references to or a or, or few moments of um, sort of explicit uh, discussion of Black identity or sort of interactions with a white community in the, mm -hmm. in the play. And I'm curious sort of if you thought about or if it was intentional, this idea of sort of by isolating themselves, they actually make themselves more visible like that make that expansiveness that you just spoke about more visible and that it sort of the it's 
it's easier to not be reduced when um, they create this sort of own refuge space for themselves. I don't know how much you thought about. I think you said it beautifully. I don't even know if I have any. any, any <laughs> that's that's perfect. I mean, yeah, I think, and again, I, I don't want to say that I necessarily thought of all that ahead of time and then decided here, but I, I do think that that sense of that, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely um, by having this family in its own context, they've given themselves their own refuge, their own uh, world, right? Um, and and so, yeah, I think that does, all, all the stuff you said, yes, there you go. And it's interesting too that Walking Man, there's sort of a recurring theme in the second play that he doesn't have an ID, he doesn't have a social security number, and he sort of exists right. outside of the system, I guess you could say, or outside of the, the, the like, uh, sort of fixed identity. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you could just sh like share more about sort of uh, like what it what it means for your characters to sort of exist in America outside of sort of an official American identity, sort of in their in like what it means to sort of construct a world within a world, I guess. Yeah, I mean, really, a lot of that is circumstances of the given circumstances of the play itself right i mean um that that that's that is their the reality they've created and i think for me i don't know that i was necessarily consciously trying to make a statement about living within or without of the bounds of society so much as they're having this conversation and I'm like, oh, was he born here? I guess he probably doesn't have an ID. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I do think that, like in other plays I've ever written on various levels, that that idea, that theme has certainly come up. The idea of like sort of personal autonomy that might transcend um, the bounds of the state in some way, or you know, or what have you, right? Or or the sort of like. Um, you know the the kind of like reductive labels that are put on you and then you know what your own sense of yourself is and they may, may or may not coincide or they may, they may or may not fit together right um but that's probably somewhat of a subconscious thing that com comes out you know um in, in the writing and then it manifests in different ways uh, yeah one aspect of the plays that we haven't discussed yet is the sort of surrealist aspects and sort of uh and the spiritual presence of these ghostly figures that sort of walk mm -hmm. throughout them um the walking man sort of in uh extraordinary like endowment to be able to walk 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 across uh the the world basically in the in mm -hmm. sort of surreal ways um mm -hmm. the the water that sort of springs magically without a, a water pipe from the ground mm -hmm. um and i'd love to just hear you speak more about what the sort of unremarkable in the sense of people are the characters are sort of unfrightened or un uh unshaken by the sort of presence of the spiritual world and the, the sort of elements of uh, magical realism in their world, sort of how you approach that um, throughout the plays. 
Yeah, I think you said it so well. It's unremarkable to the characters. Uh, it's part of their understanding of the world. It's part of the way that their world works. And so, you know, in the first play, introduced to ghosts, a walking man in the first play is a ghost, spoiler alert. Um, it's not really a spoiler because they talk about it in the first part of the play. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's understood that he comes in and, and talks to the family and it's not so much a haunting per se um although one of the characters talks about it as a haunting but more in a pejorative way um it's it's just the fact of oh this is this is the, the this world and the next world are close to each other you know um so part of this understanding for me i'm a member of the baha'i faith it's my religion and uh the teachings about life after death um talk about the fact that the world beyond us even though we don't have access to it like we can't see it or touch it but that it's actually right close to us um that those who have passed on um are still with us um and that you know that this life is the beginning of our of our soul's journey that's eternal right um and so the the, the idea that we are uh, close to those you know who have passed on and obviously the play um makes you know makes one of the things that plays can do is they can take a metaphor and literalize it and put it in front of us right um so that's the world of the play is that is that yeah we you know we talk to the ghosts and um and the other things that happen and you know as you mentioned like the the, the water pump and, and the walking i guess they are definitely surreal in the sense that they're beyond our common understanding of reality, but for the characters, they're they're not um, they're, they're not beyond th their understanding of reality. And I think that's the way that oftentimes uh, people that have mystical experiences or otherworldly experiences will describe it is that to them it's normal. You know what I mean? Um, and it's sometimes hard to talk about because you experience something that definitely seems out of bounds with reality and yet you might have experienced it right and so that's the way the characters um experience it as well i wanted to end by asking you sort of to follow up on that question a little bit um walking man says uh to gail in in one of his visitations in that first play that in that once you've passed on there's quote there's songs like the songs you know but you know them even better you know all their secrets and throughout all of the plays some of your loveliest language is about music and song and you have a character named symphony and mm -hmm. the the spirits of early's parents say we've learned to pitch our voices on the wind we sing to her uh and then gail when we meet her as a, as a young woman in the second place as i waded through the song of the mississippi so i'm just curious to know more about how you thought about song in this play because it seems like sort of, uh, at least linguistically, it sort of runs throughout the text. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, song, you know, who doesn't love songs, right? I mean, I don't know, music, song, I think they they speak to parts of us that regular language can't, right? And I think that, that also, though the play is not a musical, right? Um, there aren't really songs per se in the play. There's a couple parts where people sing. Um, but I think that's part of part of the idea with any kind of poetry and certainly with 
it applies to plays as well when they're um, poetic, like this play is, is that I think you're oftentimes on the border between music and language. And uh, there's a way that um, that that's acknowledged, I guess, in, in the text of, of like, you know, the power of words to sort of go beyond their limitations into something that's that's more moving right um that's that's speaking to uh, on a metaphorical level not only a literal level uh and i think like music does that naturally so i think um talking about music um i think that's part of part of why the characters talk about music so much is because i think it, it means something um in in this world um and yeah i think in a lot of ways i see like song and music is aspirational you know um uh and it's w one of those things that i think is pretty much common to every culture around the world is you have music you have rhythm you have song um and that in a lot of ways defines um life um and so yeah i think that's part of part of the reason why that some of that language is in there well thank you so much i love that idea of song and music is aspirational and i think that's a great place for, for us to to end this conversation and i just want to thank you so much for this play and for for joining me on the podcast today thank you for having me thank you for the wonderful questions i really appreciate it thanks so much for listening to the present stage conversations with theater writers the podcast streams on fridays wherever you listen to podcasts so if you like what you heard today please follow us at the present stage on instagram or share with a friend, or leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And keep going to the theater and have a wonderful day.